Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. There's a concept in the modern church that doesn't get spoken of much. Hyperpapalism, we can call it. It means that basically the Pope is the church, that what he says goes regardless of what the deposit of the faith, the sacred traditions, and the laws of the church have to say on the subject. It's a vision of the papacy that is similar to a metal-bestoked ruler in a general's uniform, closer to that than the vision that we have of what the papacy truly is, that is, of the vicar of Christ, of a, of a shepherd of souls. And frankly, it's the vision, frankly, most Catholics have of the Pope. We have a story out of the United Kingdom that perfectly illustrates this, as a bishop has spoken publicly that traditional Catholics, meaning mostly you and I, are the bad guys, and the real trads are those who love Paca Papa Francis and all his lying wonders. So let's get into this story. The Bishop of Liverpool released this short statement. It's rather eye-opening. The full text of the letter from Most Reverend Malcolm McMahon O.P., the Archbishop of Liverpool. I have kept my head down during the recent liturgical controversy, but some of you may have noticed that Pope Francis has put new restrictions on the celebration of Holy Mass, according to rites which were used before the reforms of Vatican II. However, I am sure that the Pope's motu proprio, Traditionis Custodis, will have passed most people by and they will wonder what all the fuss is about. It is true that there is a small number of Catholics who are devoted to the quote-unquote Old Mass. In Warrington, we are fortunate to have the priestly fraternity of St. Peter, which was founded by Pope St. John Paul II. They conduct their liturgy according to the preconciliar rites and offer pastoral care to those Catholics who choose that way to wor of worship. One thing that annoyed many Catholics is that those devoted to the old ways of worship often describes themselves as quote-unquote traditional. I think that they have hijacked the word for their own use. Pope Francis has reclaimed the word tradition by clearly stating that the bishops are the guardians of tradition. Tradition has a particular meaning in theology. It refers to St. Paul when he says that he passes on to us what he has received. In other words, tradition is a living concept, not something stuck in the past. The Mass which I celebrate daily is the one which I receive from Pope St. Paul VI and Pope St. John Paul II, and is therefore the quote-unquote traditional Mass. The point I am making is more than simple semantics. It is about the very life of the Church itself. End quote. In other words, tradition is anything we say it is, because tradition is a living thing. And because the bishops and the Pope are the guardians of tradition, tradition is what we say it is. That's the logic we see here. But the actual definition of tradition in the theological sense that the church has always used says something just a little bit different. I know you're surprised. I'm taking this definition here from the online Catholic encyclopedia at newadvent.org. Quote, the word tradition in the ecclesiastical sense, which is the only one in which it is used here, refers sometimes to the thing, doctrine, account, or custom, transmitted from one generation to another, sometimes to the organ or mode of the transmission. End quote. In other words, tradition is something passed down from generation to generation and goes back to antiquity. Maybe the argument could be made that when the new mass, the new form of the sacraments, the new theology, and the rest of it were invented out of thin air by Abugnini and Paul VI and those that came after, they were creating something new to be passed on as a new tradition. But the Bible also has some strong words about that sort of thing as well. What the Archbishop of Liverpool believes is something that we can just call hyperpapalism, the idea that if the Pope says it, it's always right, full stop. It goes hand in hand with a strange idea that the Holy Ghost chooses the Pope, something that before Vatican II no one believed. People believed that the Holy Ghost could be invoked prayerfully by the bishops in their conclave, to be guided by the Holy Ghost. 
but there is little to no evidence that that has happened in more than a century at least. To say the Holy Ghost guides the Church and the Pope is different than believing that the Holy Ghost chooses the Pope. Where the idea originated from, I have no idea, and I'm sure I'm going to get some angry responses in the comments for rejecting that notion, but again, it's a new idea in the Church. It's not something that there's anyone has written about before the Council. And so I reject that notion, because the idea turns the Pope into an oracle, and he is not an oracle. He's not a mystical figure who comes down the mountain and gives us new insights all the time, and we must take them at his word. He is the, well, to borrow Francis's term, he is the actual guardian of the tradition, of the faith, not the inventor of it. So don't be what is called a papal positivist, which is simply a fancy way academics have of saying that whatever the Pope says must be right, and that what he says goes in all things at all times. That transforms the Pope into a dictator, which he is supposed to be the servant of servants, the vicar of Christ, not an absolute ruler who does what he wills when he wills it. Michael Brendan Doherty, writing at National Review, wrote about this when he was responding to both the Bishop of Liverpool's bizarre statement about tradition and to his own critics from a blog that I'm not going to say the name of because I detest them and not going to give them any free advertisement here. Last month, Mr. Doherty wrote an article in the New York Times about Traditionis Custodis and described the state of the church for the typical lay Catholic and non-Catholic to see who might have been wondering what the fuss was about. That piece was covered by me and by the enemies of the traditions of the church, who called him essentially a schismatic. What Mr. Doherty describes is the same idea held by the adversaries of tradition as being papal positivism, or what the Pope says always goes, and he does that here in his latest piece for National Review. It's an error linked to that error that says that the Holy Ghost comes down and chooses a Pope personally. That has fueled the errors of every pontificate since John Twenty-Third. Quote, I would submit that this can be done only when one is committed to papal positivism. If the Pope says it, it must be true. Many non-modernists unwittingly set the stage for this error themselves when, in the wake of the Council, they tended to concentrate on Pope Paul VI's document, Humanae Vitae, and the papal pronouncements of John Paul II as the primary, perhaps sole, manifestation of the dogma of the Church's indefectibility. Instead of following the ancient formula of St. Vincent of Larens, we hold that faith which has been delivered everywhere, always by all, Modern apologists tended to look around and orient themselves to, well, where Peter is. When one looks back to Catholic history, it's easier to see how distorted this hyperpapalism is. When you look at the great theological works from the past, like the Summa Theologica of Thomas Aquinas, or the sentences of Peter Lombard, they rarely cite a papal statement unless that pope was himself a great theologian. They certainly don't do what we do now. Modern catechisms overflow with quotations from the last four or five papacies, many of them enigmatic and unclear. The papacy itself is increasingly treated as a kind of independent and semi-oracular authority. Thus, we have the absolute scandal that in the lifetime of my father-in-law, Catholic catechisms have articulated three different and contradictory teachings of the, on the justice of the ultimate penalty the state can impose. This incoherence comes out in the suppression of the Latin Mass itself by Pope Francis, which plainly misrepresents and distorts the reasoning given by Pope Benedict for the permission before outright contradicting Benedict's religious reasoning to maintain it. Benedict wrote that the Old Mass could not all of a sudden be forbidden, and that's precisely what Francis did. In fact, I think this hyper-papalism is itself a consequence of the liturgical reform. The Old Mass, a product of many centuries of organic development and slow reform, provided a deep spiritual connection for Catholics to live the lives of saints going back ages. The Mass itself was the center of Catholic faith, devotion, and mystery. End quote. The result, Mr. Doherty goes on to say in his recent piece, is that because the Church has severed itself from its sacred traditions, we have mystified the papacy, turned the Pope into an oracle, and the center of attention in the Church. Popes have become rock stars, 
across with politicians. One of the hallmarks of the modernist era is that the modern popes have engaged in worldly affairs, unlike any pontiffs in prior eras. We're just saying something, by the way, for those who know anything about church history. They were often knee-deep in that sort of stuff. Popes rarely, if ever, left Rome before the modern era. The modern retort to people like us who are concerned with the state of the church is that we should live happily like our ancestors did. There were people who had no idea what the Pope was doing and only knew his name because his name was said at Mass. The problem is, of course, that in the modern era, as a result of modern communications technology and hyperpapalism, we've turned the Pope into an everyday fixture of our lives. There are people who say they don't pay attention to what a pontiff does, but I seriously doubt it given how impossible it is to escape the antics of the modern Popes if you're a Catholic. The antithesis of, that, of this idea is something that actually, oddly enough, was expressed by then-Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who reminded us before he was Pope that even the Pope cannot simply do what he wants, especially when it involves the sacred traditions of the Church. Quote, After Vatican II, the impression arose that the Pope really could do anything in liturgical matters. Eventually, the idea of the givenness of the liturgy, the fact that one cannot do with it what one will, faded from the public consciousness of the West. End quote. That comes from Benedict's book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, which in hindsight made pretty clear that Samorum Pontificum was going to be his policy if elevated to the papacy, and that Benedict's policy was to be in continuity with the traditions of the Church. And while I don't adhere to the hermeneutical continuity, I don't think that anything built on Vatican II and the modernists can be in continuity with the Church's historic past. I so reject the hermeneutic of continuity categorically. It's clear that the establishment of the Church does as well, just for different reasons. And it is clear that Benedict at least sought to reserve to some degree our faith. Recently, this idea of rupture, the rejection of the hermeneutic of continuity, was given new life when first a letter of lay faithful in France released a letter to the world saying that they would not let our faith go quietly into the darkness of the night of modernism. The letter was then signed by numerous well-known Catholics and now bear dozens of names. And I would like to add my name to it if invited to. So if anyone who is involved with that is seeing this, please contact me. I covered this letter when it was only available in France almost two weeks ago, but here's the essential message of the letter for you again. It is relevant to what the Bishop of Liverpool stated, quote, The explicit will of Pope Francis stated in the Motu Proprio Traditionis Custodis of July 16, 2021, is to see the celebration of the mass of the tradition of the Church disappear. This decision drives us to great dismay. How can we understand this rupture with the traditional missal, a venerable and ancient actualization of the law of faith, which has bore fruit through many, so many nations, so many missionaries, and so many saints? What harm is done by the faithful who simply want to pray as their ancestors had done for centuries? Can we be unaware that the Tridentine Mass converts many souls, that it attracts young and fervent assemblies, that it arouses many vocations, that it has given rise to seminaries, religious communities, monasteries, that it is the backbone of many schools, youth groups, catechism activities, spiritual retreats, and pilgrimages? Many of you, Catholic brothers and sisters, priests and bishops, have shared with us your failure to understand this and your deep sorrow. Thank you for your testimonies of support. To promote peace within the Church, in order to build unity and charity, and also to lead Catholics to reconnect with their own heritage by making as many people as possible discover the riches of liturgical tradition, the treasure of the Church, those were the goals pursued by Samorum Pontificum. Pope, Benedict, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI witnesses his work for reconciliation destroyed during his own lifetime. End quote. 
Now, personally, I'm not all that interested in lionizing Benedict XVI, who had a whole host of problems during his papacy and said enough things that were so hyper-modernist that there is clearly some con continuity between himself and Francis that, to me, makes the whole Benedict versus Francis question otherwise meaningless. But there is something to this, that the question of one pope unilaterally destroying the legacy of his predecessor is something we simply would not have seen in the history of the Church, short of the predecessor in question being some kind of monster, which, of course, was a rarity until our day. The rupture in the church, the rupture of rejecting what we see, is not from the so-called Lefebvreites, the followers of Archbishop Lefebvre, who was quite frankly right in all of his observations and in all of his predictions of what would come. No, the rupture comes from the actions of the prelates who severed us from our sacred traditions, and in doing so made the will of the Pope into the church itself, or so they tried. That absolutist form of running the church is a hallmark of the secular world and a hallmark of the ape of the church, but it's not a hallmark of the Catholic church. So the story of Traditionis Custodis continues, and it continues to open eyes to the things going on. More and more bishops will release scathing statements condemning the traditional Catholics while allowing all manner of bizarre innovations to take hold that will clearly show that what is called the Church today is in fact probably not the Catholic Church. So be ready for it. Let me know what you thought about this in the comments, please, and like and subscribe if you haven't. It actually does help. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.